Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's an honor to have you with us here at Grace Church tonight for our midweek Bible study. And for all of you that are joining us via Facebook and live stream, we would like to say welcome to you as well. We're glad that you chose to join us. I have just a couple of announcements this evening. First of all, we want to remind you that uh, it's another election day uh, this coming Saturday, the 18th. So, uh, those of you that need to vote, you are aware of what's going on in your precincts, so please uh, make note of that. And also, we want to let you know that on Sunday, December 10th, uh, Grace Church will have a Christmas banquet at Forest Grove Plantation in Denham Springs from 6 to 9. There has been a category set up on Easy Tithe to help you pay, and uh, everybody say free, mostly. Um, for under all of our all of our students uh, five and under, that banquet will be free. And for those that are five to twelve, the price is only seven fifty. Ages thirteen and up, fifteen dollars. And Brother David Beckton will be with us for uh, that event. So um, go ahead and put that on your calendar, and we hope to see you there. And that's it for announcements tonight. Before Pastor comes, I want to just leave you with a few quick thoughts. Um, I think all of us realize that we have a tendency to mess up sometimes. We all make mistakes. Even my wife. And it took me a long time to realize that she, she does make a mistake every now and then. Not very often. We do make mistakes. But even though we make mistakes, we don't have to live with the guilt. Because the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So while we don't have to live with the guilt, we do have to live with the mistake. And the Bible never hides this truth. It is painfully honest, the Bible is, about the failures of some of its main characters. God saved humanity from total destruction through a man named Noah, who then got drunk and naked and messed it all up again. Moses led the children of Israel through the Red Sea and into freedom, yet his anger and his temper problem kept him out of the promised land. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he also had an affair and murdered the woman's husband so that his mistake would not be discovered. Now God realizes our frailty and our predisposition to colossal failure. You know what, if, if he only used perfect people, though, the Bible would be a very short book indeed. But God does not leave us alone in our sin. He has a solution for our failures, and we call that solution grace. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and 14 that God canceled the debt, which listed all of the rules we failed to follow and he took away that record with its rules and nailed it to the cross. You know, whenever you look at all of those failures in the Bible, you get a very clear picture. And we can be amazed of how God used those people like Noah and, and David and Moses to accomplish his purposes in some pretty big ways. But what is most encouraging to me is that he used them in spite of their failures and mistakes. And just like those heroes of the Bible that I've mentioned tonight, you and I are trophies. We are trophies of grace. Look at somebody next to you. Look them real close and tell them you're a trophy. Yeah, you're a trophy. You're a trophy. Folks, listen to me. Your primary witness in this world is not going to be the great things that you do for God. Those things matter, but that's not going to be your primary witness in this world. Your most important witness in this world will be how you handle the mistakes that you've made. How do you react to failure? Do you mope? 
or do you revel in the grace of God? People want to meet a God who can turn uh, failures into triumphs. People want to know a God who can transform the lives of broken people who have made mistakes. The amazing part of God's grace isn't just his power to forgive, it's also the strength and renewal he gives us when we choose to start over and keep going even after a colossal mistake and to trust him to keep us going toward the purpose that he has for our lives. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Good evening. Good to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. And uh, we're very thankful tonight to have our guests with us as always. Um, it's always encouraging to uh, see people uh, brand new. Um, just maybe only been here a time or two, whatever the case may be. Uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, certainly trust that the service will be a blessing to you tonight and uh, that you will feel very warmly welcomed. And uh, thank you, Jason, for your comments. And uh, I did notice at the very beginning of his presentation that his sweet wife was sitting back there. She wasn't saying anything. She wasn't doing anything. Nothing to uh, have her moments of weakness uh, just pointed out in front of everybody and I want to tell her that on occasions I feel your pain because uh, mine gets pointed out often by people and I didn't say anything be in the conversation and yeah did you hear pastor did you see pastor ha, 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 ha. I'm just sitting there minding my own business and there you go, boy, just get thrown right under the bus, doo-doop, and then they back up and doo-doop, and then go forward, doo-doop again. And so we need to form a victim's club, I guess. Clubs of martyrdom. Um, nobody asked for all of that either. So, But uh, I'm glad all of you are here tonight. I'm certainly thankful for God's presence in our church every time we come. I'm always thankful, extremely thankful for the wonderful, wonderful presence of the Lord. Again, thank you, Brother Jason, for your uh, very well-received comments tonight. Thankful for a God that gives you a second chance. Thank the Lord. And I mean that with all of my heart. And it doesn't stop there. He's faithful and just to forgive anytime you ask him. And I'm very thankful for a God like that. As I have announced, uh, I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the rapture. And uh, I'm titling this the rapture hashtag pre-tribulation. I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I have stated, if you are here tonight and you do not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, could be to you mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. I respect your perspective on that. I trust that you will uh, respect mine. And uh, as kindly as I can say, I'm not really interested in having any conversation about it after church. Uh, we will agree to disagree. It's not a heaven or hell issue. And um, I always give people the right to be wrong. And so that's just, that's how it goes. I'm saying that kidding. But the first part of that, I'm not. So there you go. <clears throat> uh, what is the rapture? What is the rapture? I'm, I, I doubt very seriously, maybe a child, a very young child, but I, I think every adult person here, all of our students have some idea of what the rapture is. By way of definition, uh, it means to snatch away or to seize. Um, a lot of people have said, and I'll refer to this again in just a moment, but a lot of people have said, how can there be a rapture? The, the, the word is not even in the Bible. 
uh, I will introduce you to the fact that the word Bible is not in the Bible. Uh, so that doesn't mean the Bible's invalid because the word Bible is not in it. Neither is rapture uh, not a biblical concept just because the word rapture is not in the Bible. I appreciate teaching things in the Bible where the Bible has already set a precedent for it. And again, I, I, I refer to lots of people in our society, people around the world, that does not believe in a rapture that it can happen. Uh, the Bible sets a precedent for causing something to happen that infected the entire population of the world that had never happened before, and that's when Noah... He told Noah he was going to flood the earth with rain. Until that time, there had not been rain on the earth, and people didn't, they didn't even know what that was. The earth was watered very well with dew, and there had never been any rain. So there's a precedent set that God can do things. He could call fire to fall down out of heaven. Uh, he's done that before on several occasions. But there's also have been what I will call individual rapture at least four times in the Bible and that's when the Bible said very clearly apparently Enoch was snatched away or seized by God when the Bible said clearly in Genesis that and Enoch was he walked with God and was not for God took him the second example uh, again, the Bible doesn't use rapture, but I do find it interesting. The Bible said that God buried Moses, and the place of his burying has not been found to this day. And the Jews don't let things like that slide. They will search and search and search, but God caused something to happen to his body, and a lot of people believe that it was just uh, translated, and uh, that was that. But we do know that Elijah was caught up into the heavens uh, the Bible is very clear uh, in that story and then Jesus himself the Bible said that he disappeared out of their sight he was taken up into the clouds and disappeared in their sight to the point where they were the Bible used the word gazing I would probably use gawking I'd probably do the same thing too I'm sitting here talking to somebody and they just float up to the sky and disappear and the angels got their attention and said, hey, 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 remember what he asked you to do. Why are you standing around gazing? You get yourself to the upper room. There's something amazing fixing to happen. So they had two incredible events happen to them. Actually, three, if you want to throw in the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's almost more than one person's mind or body can even uh, comprehend. And I know that Philip in the book of Acts was not raptured, but he was translated, I suppose. Um, God took him from one place to another place instantly. So God has proven that he can move the human body uh, from one place to another without anybody even seeing wires, ropes, strings, cranes, hoist, any of that. None of that exists. And he is able to do that at will. And I believe that he can rapture a church at will. I mentioned Sunday morning that uh, uh, I'm struggling now to even remember the context against what I was preaching. But talked about people being cremated. Uh, people believe that you can't be resurrected from the dead if you've been cremated. I, I disagree with that. Uh, there's, I don't know where Simon Peter is buried or Paul is buried. But I am quite sure by now there's hardly anything left of those men, if anything. But I believe they'll be resurrected. Uh, so none of that is going to deter God from bringing to pass a rapture. So with that little thought in mind, the word rapture means to snatch away or to seize. And uh, there are many who believe that the second coming of Jesus will be in two phases. And I do absolutely, and I'm very passionate about saying it this way, the rapture is not the second coming of Jesus. Case in point, we're going to meet him 
in the clouds or in the air, the Bible said. He's not coming to the earth. The second coming of Christ is when he comes back to the Mount of Olives with ten thousands of his saints, the Bible said. And he will set up an earthly kingdom, literally an earthly kingdom, and we will rule and reign with him through what is called the millennium or the thousand years of peace. The devil will be bound, and this is going to be a great place to live during that time, I can promise you. But some people believe that the second coming of Jesus is in two phases. The first phase is the rapture, of course, and the second phase is when he literally comes and sets up a throne and a kingdom here on the earth, as I've just stated. So again, he will come the first time, the first phase of his second coming, if you will. He will come for believers, both living and dead. And they will be caught up together in what is now called a rapture. They're going to disappear. People by the millions are going to disappear off of this planet. We will come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in just a moment, but that's the one great scripture that illustrates and defines uh, to us what is going to happen. So in this view of a rapture, uh, which is the transformation and catching up of all Christians dead or alive to meet Christ in the air, this event will be secret. God is not going to announce it. Um, He's giving us signs of the end time, which include the rapture. But there's no particular sign for a rapture. That when you see this happen, you repent real quick and you're going to be good to go. There's not going to be any, any of that. The Bible is very clear that he is going to come like a thief in the night. It will happen in a twinkling of an eye, which I understand is about one sixtieth of a second. It will happen just like that and people... By the millions are gone. I have heard, I don't believe this, but I have heard that for, for, for Christian people who are dead spiritually, that they'll be the first to go because the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't believe that's what that means. Uh, it means the literal dead and uh, those who have been buried in the grave and so on. And we will meet him in the air. Um, and I don't know how the world the media around the world, I don't know how they're going to explain this event away when it happens, but I can promise you they will. Uh, they will find a way to get people calmed down and settle down. Uh, I believe they will meet the Antichrist almost right away. Uh, I believe that's scriptural uh, in the book of Revelation uh, that upon the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will be introduced. And I believe he will calm everybody's fears and have assure, assure everybody that everything's going to be okay. But you listen to Pastor tonight. If you read Revelation 6 through 18, you're going to find that the world is going to be anything but okay. It's going to be a tough time. There's, there, there'll be a lot of people that won't survive it. Almost half of the population will not survive it. What people don't understand, and actually... COVID uh, was a good example of, of this, of what I'm about to say. Typically, if a, a part of our country is in a drought, I remember a time when, when water was trucked into various places of California because they were in such a horrible drought. I remember that a number of years ago. Uh, when a hurricane comes through and just devastates the, 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 the southeast, whether it be our state, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, whoever, uh, there's people from other parts of the country will come and help uh, to rebuild, especially utility companies, electric, electric companies will come from all over the country, and I thank people that do that. Our own electric company sends people away in, in times of devastation. I'm thankful for that. What people don't understand, when the rapture takes place, everything that's going to happen is going to be global. If it happens here, it's going to be happening everywhere. No one's going to be exempted from that. I don't find any scripture that people are going to be exempted. So when there's famine, when the Bible talks about famine, it's going to be worldwide. All of this is going to be global. The rapture is going to be a global event. God's just not rapturing Louisiana or the United States or Europe. He's, it's the whole world, everybody. Every, every country, every city, every state, every province, it doesn't matter, are going to find people that they know 
that are missing. They're gone. They've disappeared into thin air. The Bible said he will take our body, and Paul wrote in Corinthians, that our bodies will take on immortality. Mortality will take on immortality. You'll be immortal. You'll never die again. Your body will change. It will go through a transformation. When it comes up out of the grave, or if we're sitting here tonight and the trumpet sounds, you're going to change just like that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and disappear out of sight. Now that sounds really strange, doesn't it? It sounds really weird, and it's kind of hard to get your head around it. But it was really weird when Enoch disappeared. It was really weird when Elijah disappeared. And it was really weird when Philip was translated. All those things, the, the, the Bible, God has, has said over and over, I can do these things. Even when Jesus ascended into heaven. In front of these people, they watched it. So the effect of this removal and the absence of multitudes of people will, of course, be evident on the earth. And that will be called the rapture. I want to say very straightforward here tonight, especially to people, some may even be here tonight, that are playing around in your relationship with God. That's, that's not wise. It's, it's not wise. I encourage everybody here tonight to make sure you're right with God because after the rapture, I don't see in the, in the book of Revelation where there's a plan of salvation for anybody that's left. There's a lot of people that believe I can be saved after the rapture. I don't find Bible on that. The Bible talks about martyrs in the book of Revelation, but I'm not convinced they were martyred in the time frame of the book of Revelation. That could go all the way back to the book of Acts Church, in my opinion. So I don't find where, if you mess up now, uh, the church won't be here. The whole perspective of God, God's whole relationship with the whole entire earth is going to change after rapture. That's what people have to understand. He's not going to be that God of grace anymore. He's not going to be that God of mercy anymore. He is going to pour out things on this planet. I'm planning to go there in a few weeks. I'm praying about it. I'm praying hard about it. Uh, I want to take you folks through it. I promise you, even if you could be saved during the tribulation period, I wouldn't want to be saved then. It's, and it's not going to be easy. You, then you'll have the mark of the beast to deal with. If you take that, there's sure no hope. I've heard people say, well, I, especially men, you know, they're tough. and I can, I can tackle my friend in football. I'm tough, man. I can get through anything. I can saw up a tree. Give me a chainsaw, and I'll saw it up in the firewood. I'm tough. Yeah. You'll see when your kids start begging for food and crying all the time nonstop, you'll see. Eventually, you'll cave in, and you'll go take that mark. You will. If you don't, if you don't you'll be killed, but that doesn't mean it's going to save you. I don't find Bible for that. So you don't want to be here after the rapture. The point is, is to be ready for this event, and it can happen anytime. There are numerous uh, Bible teachings that support a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, first and foremost, Noah didn't go through the flood. Somebody said, well, he was in the flood. He was, but he floated on top of it. That's kind of what we're going to do during the tribulation period. We're going to be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years, and then we're going to come back with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years, and then there'll be the white throne judgment, and then it's heaven or hell after that. So we'll be in heaven, but in, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, God told John to come up hither. I want to show you what's going to be in the hereafter, and most Bible commentaries believe that John is a type of the church and that he is raptured. Everybody needs to understand that. Um, I'll go back to Lot for a moment. He was rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he wasn't burned up in that. Uh, there's a lot of press in the scripture for that. But the location of this event is found in, in Revelation chapter 6. If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 1 is a revelation of Christ. It describes Christ. Revelation 2 and 3 is the, the church age where we're living right now from Pentecost to the rapture is Revelation 2 and 3. And then 4 and 5 goes up to heaven. The Bible is looking for someone to open the seven seals and to start pouring out judgment. And then in chapter 6, it starts happening with the, the first horse as the white horse, and then after that, the tribulation is on. But right prior to that is when God calls John up into heaven to show him what's going to be in the hereafter. And 
most people who study the Bible, uh, at least people that I trust, believe that John is a type of the church, and that is the rapture. The church is gone. Listen to pastor. If you read Revelation 6 through 18, it's talking about the tribulation period here on earth, and the church is never mentioned. It's never mentioned. It's never mentioned. In any way, shape, or form, it's not mentioned. The reason it's not is because it's not here. It's been raptured. Uh, so John, one of the first true members of the church of Christ, is a fitting symbol of the church, a fitting type of the church being taken out of the world just before the tribulation begins as our Lord promised. Jesus promised in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And most believe this is talking about the coming tribulation period. The absence of any mention of the church in the rest of the book of Revelation indicates that it is not on the earth during the tribulation period. Uh, there are 16 references. There are 16 references to the church in Revelations chapters 1 through 3. There's 16 times a church is mentioned in Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 3. But when you hit chapter 6 through 18, there's no more mention of the church. And it's those chapters which cover the tribulation period. Um, and they do not, again, they do not mention the church not one time. I want you to notice four things here tonight as we continue to traverse, and I'm going to speed up a little bit. The existence of the Old Testament language and symbols in Revelation 4 through 18 is an indication of Israel more so than the church, absolutely Israel and not the church. So the extensive, the extensive use of Old Testament language and symbols in Revelation 4 through 18 is something that Israel would understand even more so than we do. And I believe that's a reason why you and I as Gentile people don't understand the book of Revelation. A Jewish person would be able to understand its meanings and all that probably better than we would. Number two, this is understandable since the church age is at the time of the Gentiles, not the Jews, but the Gentiles from the day of Pentecost to the rapture, whereas a tribulation period is a time of Jacob's trouble, who was one of the Jewish patriarchs, Jacob's trouble, or the 70th week of Daniel determined by God for his dealings with Israel. Number three, some of the Old Testament symbols are the tabernacle, the Ark of Covenant, the altar, the elders, censers, cherubims, seals, trumpets, plagues. All of these things are words and terms that the Jewish people are familiar with more so than we would be as Gentile people. Number four, there's much similarity between the events of Revelation chapter 4, 1 and 2, and other scriptural teaching on the rapture, such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. So perhaps none of the four reasons are sufficient in and of itself to insist that Revelation 4, 1 and 2 refers to the rapture of the church. When, however, when you consider all of them together, we're inclined to believe that this inference can rightly be made. Uh, the rapture of the church is not explicitly taught in Revelation 4, and I believe this is my typo error. It should be Revelation chapter 6, but definitely appears here chronologically at the end of the church age and before the tribulation period. So we'll turn to other passages uh, as we go through this that specifically deal with the rapture so we may be clearly informed of what the Bible teaches on the subject. The first thing that occurs in John's vision on the future uh, or of the future after Jesus' own revelation of the church age described in, in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, um, Asia Minor, is the calling of John up to heaven. And this fact has to be instructive. So after God has this relationship with the church age from Acts to the rapture, the next event that happens in the book of Revelation is the rapture. So John obviously represents a church, and because the door opening in heaven and the personal invitation of Christ himself to come up here certainly parallels other prophetic uh, passages, specifically 1 Thessalonians 4.16. These factors all detail the rapture of the church. Some prophecy scholars are reluctant to say 
that Revelation 4, 1 and 2 are a direct teaching of the rapture because it does not specifically say or give us any additional details about the event. However, John is the seer and is writing about future events even in his day and what a better way to allude to the rapture than at this specific time, particularly since it is located right after the description of the church age and just prior to the revelation of the Antichrist. So the Apostle Paul was a special writer God chose to reveal to the church the wonderful details of the rapture when all Christians, both dead and living, will be caught up or raptured to heaven to be with Christ, again, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16 through 17. There's only one second coming, as I've mentioned. Um, you can believe it's going to occur in two phases, the rapture being phase one, that's him coming back to the earth is phase two. But suffice it to say, the rapture or the first phase of his coming is only for his Gentile church, that all living and dead believers since the church was founded in about 33 AD. The second phase is for all those living on the earth at the end of the tribulation, that the glorious appearing will take place at the end of the tribulation period just before the millennium cannot be questioned for Jesus himself predicted that his glorious appearing would come immediately after the distress of those days in Matthew 24, 29. The Bible said he will destroy these Gentile armies wanting to destroy the Jewish people. He will destroy them with the brightness of his coming. So millions of Christians expect Christ to return at any moment as the many rapture passages teach. And I don't believe God's going to disappoint I believe he will come, and his coming could be at any moment. But that coming is for his church, his book of Acts church, if you will. Uh, you and I that believe that message, his coming will be at any moment. Many of the texts for the rapture teach an imminent coming of Christ. That means that he could come any moment, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Take, for example, one of the first teachings on the rapture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven. This is one of Paul's first mentionings of the rapture. People gave up their previous lifestyle, gave everything up about their previous lifestyle, to live for God and to wait for the rapture. It's kind of how I feel right now. These Thessalonian Christians were not just sitting around waiting for the rapture. They were serving. They were serving the living and true God, but they were serving Him with an attitude of expectancy. They were waiting for Him to come and rapture them. That's the way it should be. And I'll say in passing, we should keep in mind that no matter if the Christian is a pre-tribulation rapture, mid or post, it doesn't matter. We all should have scriptural reasons for our views, but we all should be regarded as fellow believers. But I'm not going to risk my being right with God on my belief in a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture. If there's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture and there's not going to be a pre-tribulation rapture, I still want to be right with God. If it's a post-tribulation rapture, I still want to be right with God. But I would hate to be living, doing whatever I want to do, believing in a mid-tribulation rapture, believing I can be saved after the tribulation period starts. I don't want to take that chance. And I believe this is a timing issue and not necessarily a salvation issue, but it behooves all of us. And the rapture is not the only way that you can face God. Something tragic could happen in your life today and you'll never see tomorrow again. There's a lot of reasons to be right with God right now. I want to suggest to you something else about my belief in a pre-tribulation rapture. I can't find any scripture in the Bible that teaches saints 
that are living right now. Can't find one scripture that teaches on how to live during the seven-year tribulation period. I don't find a Bible for that. So if, if the Bible, if the rapture doesn't take place before the tribulation, the Bible's not going to really do us any good because I don't believe there's any scripture that's going to help you during the tribulation period. <clears throat> Have you ever talked to people and you just get the impression that sometimes they don't really believe what you're saying. And they, they don't say nothing, but they're just staring at you. I'm getting one or two of them kind of stares tonight. It's making me nervous. I just want to con I want everybody to know this isn't a heaven or hell issue, and we're not going to gang up in the parking lot out when this is over and settle it. Uh, if you want to go through the rapture and think you can be saved, have at it. I encourage you to do the other way. But <laughs> anyway, it's like when I put my head down, just like I can feel something beaming off the top of my head. <clears throat> the obvious reason that I believe the Bible doesn't give us Bible verses that we can depend on after the or after during the tribulation period is because we're not going to be here. It would be irrelevant. And um, I'm sure that if you're a mid-tribulation rapture person or a post-trib, if you're right with God, I don't think you're going to be disappointed if it happens before the tribulation period. For several years, a popular argument against pre-tribulation theory of the blessed hope phase of Christ's return is that it was invented by a man named John Darby in 1828 and was never seen or mentioned by the early Christian fathers for almost 19 centuries of church history. So essentially in 70 AD when the Jews were dispersed in all the world, uh, severe persecution set in all across Europe, all across that part of the world. Severe persecution set in. It's like this whole idea of Jesus coming soon kind of thing just went away and there's not a lot of historical record about it. I don't believe that argument. I don't believe it's true. First of all, I believe God's always had a church. And I could go down another path tonight, but I'm not. But there is a religious movement, several actually, that did its best to bury any existence of what happened in the book of Acts. Tried to get rid of all the evidence. And they've never been able to. God's always had a church somewhere. But this argument is not true about the rapture not being mentioned until the early 1800s. John Darby claimed he got an inspiration for the pre-tribulation rapture of Christ in 1828 after he saw the distinction between Israel and the church based on his study in the book of Ephesians. And that's real interesting to me. But he saw that they were two different things. The Gentiles had a relationship with God based on the book of Acts. And the uh, Jewish people had a whole other relationship with God because they rejected Christ. And the Bible is very clear on that as well. Few scholars who do not make that distinction see a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. In fact, separating Israel and the church is one of the major keys to rightly understanding Bible prophecy. I've taught that here several times. Everybody listen to pastor. When you study prophecy, especially Luke 19, Matthew 24, and so on. You, does that mean I'm done? I hear a phone going off. Uh, Y'all give me a little more time. I'm not going to say who this is, but they're connected with people back there. So it, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, <clears throat> I won't call the rise name, but um, <laughs> she's as red as a bee. It's all good. It's all good. It happens. It's all good. As a matter of fact, I kind of enjoy it when that happens. Don't start doing it. But if it does happen, I kind of enjoy it because it gives me a moment to do a little picking and have a little bit of fun. But when you read prophecy in the Bible, Luke 19, Matthew 24, you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus talking to? The Jews, the Gentiles, or the church? It's three different things. And there's different signs of prophecy that are applicable to one that's not necessarily applicable to the other. And we need to understand that. I have, I have talked to more people who reads Matthew 24 and says, Pastor, look what's going to happen, look what's going to happen. A lot of that don't, uh, some of that don't pertain to us. It's to the Jewish people. And I can prove that um, in Scripture. Um, 
The second important thing when you study prophecy is wherever you can, take prophetic scriptures literal. Wherever you can, take them literal. Uh, remember those two things about prophecy. The concept of a pre-tribulation rapture was obviously known during the first three centuries of the church and did not lose its challenge until the Bible was effectively locked up in museums and monasteries or destroyed for the 1100 years of the Dark Ages. So although several who had access to the scriptures and who could read Greek or Latin saw it even during those years, I emphasize that God has always had a church. He's always had a church and he'll have one until rapture. Um, it was not until the Bible was translated into the language uh, of the common people that everyone could read that the hope of the pre-millennial return of Christ was reestablished in the church. So you'll notice on the screen. Then in the 18th and 19th centuries, the ancient truth of the rapture before the tribulation was rediscovered, if you will. And wherever this truth has been taught, it has had the same effect on believers that it had in the first three centuries. It produced, number one, it produced holy living in an unholy age. The rapture and God not giving a time and date is a motivation to live for God according to the scripture. And I say people that don't are ignorant or they're gambling with their eternity. It produces holy living. It gives the church a motivation for evangelism and a zeal for missions. And I salute the United Pentecostal Church. Its zeal for missions around the world has not died for many, 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 many years. Many years. It is still very passionate today or more so as it's ever been. Uh, at least in my memory. So although the Antichrist and his followers will be delighted that the church has been taken out of the world via the rapture, many thoughtful individuals will be seriously impressed by the mysterious evacuation of millions of people. Some have suggested, and I think rightfully so, that the rapture will leave its mark on humankind. There are people that will go through the tribulation period that knows about the rapture that will never forget what they heard and how they ignored what they heard. I'd like for you to consider for a moment, and all of you probably have, but what would happen if the rapture took place while Christian airline pilots were flying their jet airplanes loaded with people? Or think of the impact on humanity when hundreds of Christian train engineers and bus and automobile drivers are suddenly snatched from the controls of their living vehicles because Christians have evaded almost every legitimate profession. Uh, there's Christian people everywhere in every job, every part of society. They're everywhere. The rapture will leave an unprecedented vacancy and cause the most chaotic and disruptive consequences that could ever have been created by a single event. Imagine the debt that Christian people have that are going to be raptured. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But I shed a tear for all the people that we owe money to because they're not going to get another dime. It's going to cause an economic crisis like you can't even imagine. Jobs not having enough employees, bills not being paid, literally bills not being, all that's kids scrambling or family members scrambling that's left here to scramble over who gets the property. And as the tribulation moves on, it's not going to matter who gets the property or not. Yes, the world will be fully aware of the supernatural aspect of the rapture of millions from all over the world, particularly when they discover that the only common denominator of those raptured will be their personal faith in Jesus Christ and the obedience to his word. The impact of this strange event I believe it will soon be forgotten by the majority of those living in the tribulation because of the lies and deceit of the Antichrist. I believe the Antichrist is going to be the devil incarnate in flesh. If, if it's not, it's going to be as close as you can without it being that. He'll sign a covenant with Israel and he'll start his diplomatic conquest of world government and he will bring a time of peace uh, to the planet. It'll be short-lived, but he'll bring a time of peace and everybody will think everything's going to be okay. But many reflective, perceptive individuals will not forget the effects created by this strange rapture event, which will doubtless stir a revival of interest 
and prophetic studies among these people. But there will be nothing they can do about it. So let's talk about the actual event for just a few moments, the rapture. At that moment, the graves containing every believer who has ever died since Pentecost will open. The molecules and atoms and all of that of everyone, of those believers, will be reconstituted. I think of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel's vision. The Bible said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be raised in perfect immortal bodies. Those bodies will ascend into the air where they will be met by Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. The believers who are still alive will vanish immediately thereafter and will ascend with them to meet the Lord in the air. The Bible says it this way. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as those which have no hope. For if we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I don't believe Paul is saying here that that's all you have to believe, is that Jesus died and rose again. I believe what Paul is saying here is that Jesus went into that grave, into that tomb, after being beaten to a bloody pulp. Y'all understand that? Lost most of the blood out of his body. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. He came out three days later with only scars in his nails, hands, and his side, uh, in his feet, to show that it was actually him. I believe what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what the condition of your body is when you die. You can die of cancer. You can die of leukemia. You can have limbs amputated. You can have organs removed out of your body. You may die with one lung and one this kidney or this or that. But when you resurrect, it's going to be a perfect, complete, whole, immortal body that's going to live forever. Hallelujah. It's easy for the Bible to be to say there'll be no sickness, no more dying. People that goes to heaven aren't going to be sick. You will be cured. No more glasses. No more high cholesterol. No more high blood pressure. No more sugar diabetes. No more none of that. No, you put that in blank, whatever you want to put in there. There's people I know that's in wheelchairs and have laid flat on their back for years. When the rapture happens, all that's over. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Everybody said amen. So again, some people point out that the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. Again, the word Bible doesn't appear in the Bible. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapios, which means literally to be caught up or snatched away. Rapios is translated into Latin from the Greek word harpezo, which means to seize or to carry off by force. In other words... If somebody did try to keep you here at the time of rapture, if somebody's hugging you real tight, you're still going. I want everybody to understand here tonight that the rapture is a non-sign event. That means it is coming without warning. Don't be fooled by people who will tell you they have calculated the date. It is not only impossible but also knowledge forbidden to men and only known by God himself. When Paul wrote his epistle to the Thessalonians, he addressed a heretical notion that was already being circulated by a forged letter to the Thessalonians. It taught that the rapture had already taken place and that the Thessalonian people had been left, left behind. Paul explains in detail the order of events beginning with, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, our, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as the day of the Lord is at hand. He's assuring them that it has not happened yet. 
that you're okay. You just need to be prepared. I believe very passionately tonight the rapture is imminent. I've said that many times over the past several weeks. One of the chief characteristics of the rapture of the church is that it will be sudden, unexpected, and will catch people by surprise. Some students of Scripture will anticipate the season or a general period, and I believe there's a lot of people on our planet right now that are feeling that. I am. But as our Lord said, no man knows the day or the hour, which is why we should live our lives as to be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect him. Who was the Old Testament Roman leader that, that asked Paul, said, I will, I'll listen to you and I'll give my heart to God in the convenient season. And I know there's people for the past number of years has prayed for God to let the rapture take place when it's convenient for me. Meaning, let me just come up out of an altar let me just have come through a, a good prayer meeting. Let me just have gone through a good revival or a good camp meeting. And I've never felt so close to God. The Bible doesn't give, God does, it's not going to give anybody those kinds of assurances. You're not booking a flight out of the nearest airport. Only God knows that day. Only he knows that time. And the Bible said he will come in an hour that you do not expect him. Only the pre-tribulation rapture preserves that at any moment expectation of his coming. A post-tribulation rapture doesn't do it. Mid-tribulation rapture, if, if, if there's a mid or a post-tribulation, then you can pretty accurately calculate when, he's, when the rapture's going to take place. The Bible is very clear that nobody will know when that's going to happen. So in conclusion tonight, this is applicable to all of us. In conclusion, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. I believe this just simply means they were just living life and ignoring the guy down the street that's preaching to them about a coming storm and building this massive structure in his backyard. Ignored all of that. And went on with life. The Bible said when, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. Nobody could pull rank. The most mightiest of leaders. There was nothing nobody could do. We have to understand that the government can't, couldn't help them. A country from another part of the world couldn't help them. The Bible said it destroyed all of them. Small, great, rich, poor, all of them were destroyed. And then Jesus said, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Again, they're living life. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all even thus shall it be in the day when the son of man is revealed I want to conclude on, on, this, on this thought stand with me tonight I'm done I want everybody to understand I'm holding up my iPad but I've got a King James Bible version on it and many others so let me just say I'm holding the Bible in my hand tonight. I have one on my phone. I'm holding two Bibles here tonight. You are not going to have your way. You're not going to have your way and bargain with God and get God to see things your way. It's not going to happen. I want everybody to understand that. The Bible said that the books, when you stand before Jesus, the books will be open. The word books there. Every commentary I've ever read after believes that that's the Bible. And you'll be judged based on the parts of it that are applicable to you and things that Jesus asked you to do. If you're doing them, he'll say, enter, come on in. If you're not, I don't know what to say. There's people here tonight that, that, that you live your life like it's a casino. 
You live your life like it's a pair of dice. You live your life like it's a roulette. I don't know what to say to that. I promise you, I repent personally every day. I want to be sure. There's people that will go weeks and months without true repentance. God is not going to rapture you if you're not living your life according to the scripture. He's not. And the Bible is very clear on that. It didn't happen with Noah's day. It didn't happen with Lot's day. It didn't happen. You can walk out of this building and say the old man up there is crazy. You can do whatever you want. But if you're not living right with God, and I want you to hear this, it will help me sleep better tonight. If you're not right with God, you're not going to make the rapture. And there's people here tonight that are believing a lie. You think it's okay. And you, you think you have plenty of time. You don't. What's going on in the Middle East tonight, and I know everybody here tonight is sick of hearing, of it, hearing about it. I, I am, to be honest. But there's something about this that's more provocative. There's an evil being manifested in our world because of this. I didn't understand that our own United States government was so filled with people who hates Jewish people. That is a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Jesus told them straight up, you will be hated of all men for my name's sake. He told them that. And now you're seeing that prophecy come to pass before your eyes. It's interesting to me that the president of China was just in our country negotiating with our president, and only God knows what that was about. I don't think we'll ever know what all of it was about. It's interesting that Russia and China are getting chubby. These are huge players in the, in the, in the tribulation period. The king from the north, according to Ezekiel, is Russia. The king from the east is China. They're going to come and team up together against Israel, along with a lot of the satellite nations around the northern part of Africa, Egypt, nations like that, uh, the Arab countries. And they're going to try to push them into the sea, into the Mediterranean Sea. I've stood on the coastline and stared at the Mediterranean Sea. And this prophecy came that they're going to be surrounded on all sides and they will get, be pushed into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. But the Bible said that Jesus is going to come back at that point and destroy them all with the brightness of his coming. It's the only thing that's going to save them. All of those pieces are being put into place right now. They're all, China and Russia have never been so chummy as they are now. It's like they have this pact that one will take over Taiwan and the other one will take over Ukraine and they won't interfere with each other. They're making these deals and bargains and whatnot. I, I, folks, it's imperative. It's imperative that you're right with God. If the trumpet sounds tonight, think about it. If the trumpet sounds tonight and you're left here, you're not going to make it. You have no hope. I don't find any hope. I'm giving you a Bible study on that. There's no scripture for you that applies during the tribulation period. There's no plan of salvation during the tribulation period. You say, well, I'll stand for Jesus and they can kill me. You can. But that doesn't mean it's going to save you either. It doesn't. I don't find scripture for that. So I want you to take this home with you tonight. Share it with people. Get people if, to watch it. Share it with people. There's a rapture coming. And it's very biblical. I want to be ready for it. How about you? Thank the Lord. Are you thankful for the promise we have tonight that we can be ready? Let's give the Lord some appreciation for that. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Uh, join us this coming Sunday. We'll have a great time again in the Word of God. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.